0: G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. In
1: verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. If you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury? Burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. And now turning to the New Testament book of Luke and chapter 19 and starting towards the end in verse 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. He sent another servant. But that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Thanks,
0: Debbie. As I said, uh, please keep that passage um, open in front of you, the Luke one in particular. And um, how does it end there? But they were afraid of the people. Uh, I'd like to just approach our text today. I guess you, before we pray and, and get right into it, just a little bit from the side uh, as to a, a, a theme that's that's there in the text. Just sort of come out up alongside it, if we could, for a moment. Tim Crater, Tim Crater, is an author and a, a comic artist um, uh, in America, and he suspects that the modern pace of life that we carry on these days, is covering for something. Uh, He suspects that our busy lives are a bit of a facade uh, to mask our fears, to keep emptiness and hollowness um, tucked away and out of sight. Uh, We use those things even to fool ourselves. I suspect he's probably right. He puts it like this. He says, yes, I know we're all very busy, but what exactly is getting done Are all those people running late for meetings and yelling on their cell phones, are they stopping the spread of malaria (laughs) or developing feasible alternatives to fossil fuels or, or making anything beautiful? This busyness, Crater says, serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness, obviously. Your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy, uh, completely booked, in demand, every hour of the day. All of this noise and rush and stress seem contrived to drown out or cover up some fear at the centre of our lives. I know that after I've spent a whole day working or running errands or answering emails or watching movies or keeping my brain busy and distracted, as soon as I lie down to sleep... All of the niggling worries and big picture questions I've successfully kept at bay come crowding into my brain like monsters swarming out of the closet the instant you turn off the nightlight. (laughs) Now, I suspect he's probably right, isn't he? I think there's something to it at least. And may I say, dare I say, even Christians can hide, can't we, behind the work or the pressing deadlines or frankly the unsustainable responsibilities that we take on for ourselves. Why? To avoid dealing with some of the real issues in our lives. Sometimes the big questions of life but even just the real issues in our lives of uh, marriages or friendship issues or home life or these things are certainly true, aren't they? And as an aside, perhaps COVID has helped us to reevaluate at least a little bit of that. I think there's a silver lining in that for us over the past 12 months that in some ways has been helpful, even if it's brought us to breaking point in some areas. But this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take that as a way of thinking about one very, very specific, um, clearly focused issue. Do we sometimes hide... Behind what is popular or acceptable, or what everyone else is doing, what comes easy, what seems palatable, to distract ourselves from having a personal and humble and real confrontation with the Lord Jesus Himself, himself in our lives. See, in our popular culture, it's funny, it's flipped around the other way. Um, religion is often seen as a thing of, of fear. Uh, Christians, so the caricature goes, we are scared little souls, we're timid little things, uh, we need a crutch or something sort of warm and fuzzy to believe in, it keeps us warm and cozy at night, it, it it soothes us and never mind whether it's true or not, it makes us feel better. The caricature, but friends, today in Luke's Gospel, I want to say, um, even today in our culture actually, I wonder if sometimes it's not the other way around. What if, what if putting your faith in Jesus, really confronting the the big questions of life and Jesus himself, turned out actually to be the harder thing and the scarier thing and the more risky and less safe thing to do but absolutely still the right and the best and in the grand scheme of things, the only necessary thing that we each must do? And what if it's actually fear... That drives us away from Jesus, that keeps us just a little bit distant from Him, that prevents us from engaging with Him in a real way, even in our Christian lives. And when we stop and when we face the emptiness and when we find Jesus as the one and only voice that we should have been listening to all along, what a wonderful thing it is. Let's pray together as we come to uh, Luke's Gospel in chapters 19 and 20. Our Father God in Heaven, Uh, we have just read in in Luke's Gospel of men, influential, men, powerful, uh, leaders, men living out their spiritual lives in the grip of fear and Father, perhaps, the dynamics at work in their hearts might prove a lesson worth our learning today. Our Father in Heaven, we've just read of religious people, back in the days of Jeremiah, A whole nation of them whose spiritual lives had slidden far away from God and neighbour into behaviours that surely they should have shrunk away from, behaviours of greed and harm and all of this with God in their midst, right at the temple. Father, perhaps the dynamics at work in their hearts might prove a lesson of caution worth our heeding today. So Father, may we see Jesus this morning all the more clearly even if it is a bit scary, terrifying, whatever, may we see Jesus in all of his awe-inspiring, wonderful, spectacular glory in the pages of your Scripture. May we see by the power of your Spirit what so many miss and what even we become forgetful of. And so in Jesus' name we ask it please. Amen. Now, for the last three years actually, we've begun our year each year at around about this time in Luke's Gospel um, and uh, we've been working our way through, we got up to um, uh, just you know midway through chapter 19 at about Easter time last year, that's where we're picking it up from today and God willing... Uh, we'll make it through to the end of Luke's Gospel by Easter time this year. So we're, we'll have made it across four years um, and uh, it's our tradition here at Good News to start each year actually um, with uh, in the Gospel stories of Jesus' life. It's, it's a tradition that I really enjoy and I think it's good for us to start the year with Jesus um, and that's what we're doing. Could we um, just take Luke chapter 20? Cast your eyes down there, big number 20 and verse 13, little number 13 in the text, Luke 20 and verse 13 as our, I guess our re-entry point, we haven't all been sort of, you know, poring over Luke for the last 12 months, it's been quite a break, Uh, so could we take that as our sort of point of re-entry, Luke chapter 20 and verse 13 and Jesus gives us these words as the words of the vineyard owner, the kind of wondering thoughts as he's weighing up his options... It's within the parable you see, but at this point in Luke's Gospel, at this point, we cannot help but hear them, I think, as the deliberations of God Himself. For we are in the closing week of Christ's earthly life, here in Luke's Gospel at the moment. We have come to see Him, yes, as the, the emissary sent from heaven to earth. Um, God's agent Himself in the world to bring the kingdom of God to a needy and broken and and and, um, oppressed world and we see Him as a man who is destined for the gallows, He's heading to the cross. The authorities have come to hate His guts and want His blood, I don't mean that in a sense of sort of, oh hyperbole, oh they hate His guts, no, they want Him dead at this point in Luke's Gospel. It's a life and death matter. It is now just a matter of how and when and who they're going to manage to do it through. And into all of that, we hear, do you see, this wondering thought from heaven itself. Luke chapter 20 and verse 13, in the midst of this parable, uh, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. God, wondering to himself, I think that's how we're supposed to hear it. What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. And we're at this point, this terrible point in Luke's gospel where Jesus faces the most fierce and malicious, nasty opposition of his life. It's about to come to a crescendo. And I don't believe that Luke uh, writes this Gospel because he expects his readers uh, to be as malicious and nasty and all of that as the men whom he's describing. Certainly over the years, some um, violent critics of Jesus have read Luke's Gospel and I don't doubt that God has used it to good effect in their lives, turning many of them around. Uh, But I, I do believe that these words have been recorded for our good, brothers and sisters. Though they describe such malice and meanness, They've been put there for our good so that we will see Jesus there. In the last week of his life, standing in the eye of this storm, as as, uh, the son whom God loves, as everything swirls around him, that perhaps we might listen to him and respect him uh, and find him in the calm, even as the horror swirls around or the busyness of life or the fears and the, the, the stress swirls around about us both in this story and in our lives, find Jesus and rest our faith in Him. I think that's what Luke's up to, I think that's what God's up to with us in telling us, in giving us this Word. So friends, I make out three instructions across this passage from today's um, uh, for today's, I guess, lesson. There's three instructions, there's our structure for today, for forming faith in a fearful world. Three instructions for forming faith in a fearful world, whether you're forming it for the first time Or whether you've been, you've had your faith in Jesus a long time, but it's always a figuring it out more and more sort of a process. Three instructions as I make them out. Number one, let not fear dictate the terms of your faith. Number two, let not desire drive you into the dark. And thirdly, learn to fear the Lord lest you fear the phonies and we're going to explore each of those in turn, I'll I'll mention them again as we go Uh, but firstly, could we firstly read that that big chunk actually from Luke 19 verse 45 and onward, we'll go from there, Uh, for our first point, let not fear dictate your faith this morning because I think that's precisely what we see among the religious leaders, isn't it? Fear was dictating where they would put their faith, what they would believe Let's read this first large section from verse 45 of Luke 19. When Jesus entered the temple courts, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find a way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him, tell us, by what authority you are doing these things, they said, who gave you this authority? He replied, I will ask you a question, tell me. John's baptism was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they're persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it has come from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. I want to ask us, will we let fear, in the end, dictate our faith... Can I just point out one thing here? Clearly, uh, you can see who the bad guys are in this passage. It is a bit of a bad guys, good guys passage. The Bible's not always quite as sort of black hats, white hats about it, but it does seem to me that this is how this particular passage rolls out. The bad guys are the, uh, chapter 20, verse 1, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, uh, together with the elders, right? And they won't put their faith in Jesus. Uh, That's true from the, the rest of the passage. But almost more condemning, is this fair fair to say, almost more condemning is that they won't even say what they really think, even about John, as in John the Baptist. Why? Because verse 6, but if we say, verse 6, of human origin, all the people will stone us because they're persuaded that John was a prophet. And I've got to say... I think, as readers, I think we're supposed to hear that as laughably spineless, like tragic, absolutely, but I think we're supposed to hear it as just laughably spineless, because as if the people are going to stone you uh, for that, you, what is it, chief priests, together with the teachers of the law and the elders among the people, you are the people that the, the people all look up to. You're their leaders. You're the ones that they, they, um, I don't want to say idolize, but you know what I mean. You're the heroes. You're the ones that they follow as if they're going to stone you and you're terrified that they would. Your fear, do you see, has shrunk your world. It has hemmed you in. You are talking nonsense now and trying to pass it off as as defensible rationale for ignoring, not only, the first prophet to come to Israel in literally hundreds of years, John the Baptist, but even the one he was pointing to, the Lord Jesus Himself, who clearly carries the stamp of God on His ministry by this point in Luke's Gospel we've come to see. You guys are scaredy-cats. I think we're supposed to read it as kind of pathetic, brothers and sisters. Now, By contrast, may I just point this out as well, where is Jesus? Did you notice that? We're actually told three times, we're given three kind of location clues through the text, I think it's deliberate, where is Jesus? Chapter 19 verse 45, then Jesus entered the temple courts, And we know how that went, we remember how that went. He uh, he was driving them out, he made a scene, right? The temple courts around about the the temple there, they were where Israel and even the nations were to go to meet and find their God. That's where they were to encounter God in the world. But what had it become? Uh, Well, it had become the the den of robbers as Jesus saw it and so he he drove them out. Uh, Here's my point, if I had made the scene that Jesus had made in the temple courts that day, do you reckon you'd see me there the next day? (laughs) I don't reckon you would. I think I would, um, I I wouldn't return to the scene of the crime. Have a look at verse 47. Every day, he was teaching at the temple, and verse 48, the people were hanging on his words. Chapter 20, verse 1, one day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, all of the leaders came up to him and on it goes. Brothers and sisters, and may I just say, I I suppose especially to our our guests, our friends, our our visitors, those who for one reason or another kind of feel a little bit more on the outer when it comes to Jesus. I think, as I said before, in our modern day, following Jesus is portrayed, it is caricatured as a thing for the timid, as something for those who are a little bit weak in life one way or another and good on them, uh, for those who are a bit spineless perhaps, but I just want to ask, is that really fair? Could it be that actually the easier, more convenient, dare I say it, less courageous thing to do, would be to let Jesus' words entirely pass you by? Would that be the easier thing? Because the courageous one here, that in the text, the fearless one is Jesus' standing up against the culture of His day and He will stand by what Heaven has given Him to do and so He's there at the Temple, at the Temple courts, every day, proclaiming the Good News, even though it makes a scene, even though they know where they're going to find Him, even if it ultimately brings the world crashing down on top of Him. Now, hopefully for us, it's a little bit, you know, in terms of following Jesus, it's a bit less dramatic than all of that Hopefully for us it, it causes, but, but I'll ask this question, do we let fear dictate our faith, do you see? Either having faith at all, uh, for some of us perhaps, or letting it be known that we stand for Jesus in our lives. I know that some of us here, we're starting new jobs this year, in new, we've got new colleagues. We've uh, had a whole bunch of introductions in the last few weeks as we've started in our new, or new courses at, at uni Or new to uni or new schools, or there's new classmates in your old class at school, may I just gently say, don't fear to stand with Jesus. Don't fear to stand with Jesus. I won't promise you that nothing bad will happen because perhaps it will, perhaps nothing bad will happen, you know? But I can promise you that it is with Jesus. That we really meet and find our God in the world. That's where we encounter our God, with Jesus. Mm. Now, moving on, that was first instruction, let's pick up the pace a bit. Secondly, so uh, let not fear dictate your faith. Secondly, let not desire drive you into the dark. Uh, Faith, I think, uh, I think this is the point here in this next section, Um, faith in Jesus has more enemies than just fear. And even in our own hearts. Uh, Notice how Jesus, um, actually he turns away from the leaders and he speaks to the people now and and they simply cannot believe that the picture, the portrait, the parable that he's describing to them, God forbid, they cannot believe uh, that anyone would be so evil and greedy and spiteful and mean as this parable unfolds. Uh, from the lips of Jesus. Surely there's not a sane person in the world who would set themselves against this man's beloved son, I mean his son. Have a look with me, chapter 20 and verse 8 now, Jesus said, neither will I tell you what authority, uh, by what authority I'm doing these things, said that to the leaders. Verse 9, he went on to tell the people this parable, A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir. They said, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come. And kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Uh, and actually, in the original, God isn't named there at all. It's just a, it's a Greek expression. I don't know why they've translated it like that, but you kind of get the force of it, don't you? It's something like, no, wait, this is outrageous. How can you tell a story like this? It doesn't, may it never happen. But the religious leaders knew, didn't they? Down at verse 19, skip down there, the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Now friends, we have these malicious, nasty tenants and I... I, I'm not saying for a second that this is you, right, in your posture toward Jesus. It is a negatively framed passage, it's a combative passage, but it has been recorded in God's Word for our instruction. And I think it is saying this, let not desire drive you into the dark. See, it wasn't just fear for those tenants, was it? It was greed. What else was it? It wasn't just doubt that drove... The leaders in in the day, they ignored, they opposed, they eventually, uh, I mean, hounded and hung Jesus. Why? Because life without Jesus was going to give them everything that they wanted. You see it in the parable. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. do we let desire drive us into the dark? It could be all sorts of desire, it could be for another man, it could be for another woman. It might be a lifestyle, a desire for a lifestyle that feels a whole lot more pleasant or uncomplicated or uh, authentic or real or in the moment or whatever, it might be an aspiration. It might be an, a perfectly culturally acceptable aspiration in your life that entirely leaves Jesus out of the picture. It might be a greed... Or drive. Friends, may I just warn us to check our hearts, are there desires that would drive us into the dark? Of course there are, we're human beings, we're sinful human beings, of course, what are they? Are there desires that would drive us into the dark and lead us to drift far from God's design for our lives and far from Christ? See, in the cool light of day, we might say, of course not, May it never happen, God forbid, that's outrageous, I would never choose that. But we don't often make those decisions in the cool light of day, do we? Jesus means for us, he means for his children, he means for those with whom he pleaded day after day at the temple courts, what he means for us to find him, to meet him, to listen to him and respect him, to find our God and feel our way forward through faith in life. Which leads to our third and final point, let us learn to fear the Lord lest we just fear the phonies. Uh, We've already seen the the fear of the leaders uh, but Jesus' final point here I think is that uh, fear is, that their fear is, it's not that fear is always wrong, it's that their fear is sadly, is foolishly, ultimately is fatally misplaced. It's a tragic story I think from verse 16 and onwards of chapter 20, verse 16. He will come, so what will the the owner come and do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken in pieces, anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he'd spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Friends, the leaders back then, and I'd say a lot of people in our day today, they believed, people believe today, that all you've got to fear in rejecting the Lord is what? the disapproval of a few religious people, that's probably all you've got to fear in rejecting the Lord. You're going to disappoint mum and dad or grandma and grandpa, you're going to disappoint a few religious people, that's probably all you've got to fear. Or I guess at worst, maybe an awkward encounter if, if you finally meet your maker. Now, this whole passage, right, by virtue of its content, is framed very negatively and it's got this kind of, really kind of heavy feel. This this is what you have to fear. If you reject Jesus, in the end, you're going to be the language that crushed. And your petty fears about religious people that might hold you back from one or two things in life or or what everyone will think or the shame that you might endure or whatever, in the grand scheme, they are laughably small-minded. You have the prophet of God in your midst, teaching in the temple courts every day, confronting corruption and greed, promising you the presence of God in your life. He's right there. You either fall at his feet now and he will lift you up as his own or you will fall under his heel forever. It is this brutal, negatively framed, heavy kind of a picture but Jesus meant business. He's preaching woe here. Are we willing to hear this? Woe upon every false religion in the world. Every false teacher, every phony so-called believer who's just a pretender, really. Every, every one of his foes. It is a message of woe and it is heavy. But brothers and sisters, I wonder, could we take that same idea and I wonder, could we conclude, uh, not with heavy uh, weighty words that weigh us down. No, because his words to his friends, chapter 20, verse 1, good news that he proclaimed to them. Good news that he proclaimed to them. Uh, 19, verse 48, the stuff where they hung on his every word, his friends did. Christian, I want you to know, and I want you to, I want us to cherish, and I want us to rest in this, though we live in a world of storms, and, and, and fearful things, and even malice, and some of that is even within. Though our God is indeed a fearsome God, and a mighty judge, in Christ, we find ourselves squarely in His favour. We find ourselves nurtured, and protected, and safe in Him, loved by Him, with good news that we can hang on. So let's close with these words, I'll just read them to you from 1 Peter, First Peter, where Peter uses the same passage, the same imagery to encourage us to warm our hearts in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Let me just read them to you and then we'll pray. As you come to Him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Let's pray together. Our fearsome and faithful heavenly Father, we do confess this morning that our fears are oftentimes misplaced. We fear people or we fear what might happen or we fear what we're missing out on or we fear who might notice. And we fear things more than we fear the God of judgment, more than we fear the throne of heaven, more than we fear the throne of grace. Lord, may your righteous and perfect and truly lovely yet terrifying goodness become ever more real to us in our lives and compelling in our our hearts and in our decision-making and in the things that we choose to do with our lives. But Father, may your tender favour, become so real and present to us as well. It was you, Father, behind those words. What shall I do? I'll send my Son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect Him. And surely we should have and surely we must. How could we do otherwise? Father, may Jesus be our guide as well as our refuge and our joy in this strange world. And in His name we ask for your help, please. Amen.